Welcome to the anarchist monastery, that that foaming petri dish of chaos and, and, and order. I'm Daniel Roy Connolly. And I'm Hugh Bernays. I got you there, didn't I? You said you were laughing. I got you, yeah, you almost corpsed there a bit, uh, didn't you? I, we, I, you got to the word foaming, and, yeah. uh, and that was it. Yes. I, like, oh. I was gone. I was no longer in control. I like to use the word foaming yeah, once yes. a day. Just the foaming anarchist monastery. Right. Is, yes, and then, you, then there were other words after it, but it was the foaming that did the trick. What are we foaming on today? So we've got... Yes, uh, what's on your foam? What's on my foam? Um, we've got letters. We've got another letter come in. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, we've got, you're going to talk about John Snow, um, yes. in York, uh, who I understand is a 19th century scientist who was involved in the eradication of cholera or the attempted eradication of, of, of cholera. So that's John Snow in York. Uh, it's mental health awareness week next week. And I would, uh, I just want to have five minutes, um, about mental health, I think. And then, uh, Daniel in Bangladesh, a bit, bit more foreign office stuff, but I'm, it's slightly, it's framed slightly differently this time. Instead of me just telling my stories, I'm going to read a piece that I wrote um, when I was with my son, uh, when he was six years old, I think. Um, about, and he's part of this. He's part of this. The the story that I've written, and it's about me going up country uh, when I was the vice consul to. Bangladesh. There's a story there to be had. So a bit like the Princess Bride. Uh, I've never thought of it in those terms. But but um, the older man, the grandfather or whatever it yes. is in that, that comes along and he tells a story to a six-year-old. This is that, yes, that's right. Yeah, that's how it starts. That's so the, the whole of Princess Bride. Of course Bride it does. That's the Princess Bride. Red Pirate Roberts. So we've got one of those moments. We've got a Princess Bride <laughs> moment uh, in Bangladesh. There we are. Oh, can't wait. <laughs> okay. So we've had a letter in. Hubertine, which shouldn't be that surprising for us now. People are so gracious, aren't they, writing into us as much as they do? I think that's wonderful. By the way, that uh, you can write to us at um, theanarchistmonastery at gmail.com. I would spell that out, but I'm not sure I'm going to get to the end without making a mistake. The Anarchist Monastery <laughs> at gmail.com. That's confidence. You can, write, you can you write can write to us. So the email's Daniel, in the it's in the show can. notes. It's in the show notes. So we've had a letter from, um, from Eileen uh, in Belgrade, uh, in Serbia there. Um, dear Daniel and Hugh, uh, I think the Anarchist Monastery would make a great stage play. I'm, I'm, prepared, to, I'm prepared to write it, uh, says Eileen. Do you have any advice before I unleash my creative volcano? Wow. Eileen's got a creative volcano. And she wants advice from us. It's going to erupt. This is wonderful. She I wants think advice the first about thing, no, 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 the, the anarchist monastery, the stage yes, play. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so Belgrade is the capital of Serbia. Correct. It? So, right. So, my advice, my first advice is write it in Serbian. I see. We want a Serbian anarchist monastery play so badly. Write it in English and then translate it into Serbian. No, maybe? no, 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 no. They're Just very write it in opposite. Serbian. Do it in Serbian. She is Serbian, is she not? Eileen. Uh, her, name? her name's Eileen. I don't, I don't know if she's Serbian or not. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I might, maybe not with a name like Eileen. Oh uh, well, um, try and be Serbian, Eileen. If you, Where turn are you from, out, Eileen? if you turn out to be Serbian, yes, uh, that is the perfect thing. We'd love you to do it. First but Eileen doesn't Serbian. have to be Serbian to be able to write in Serbian, of course. No, but it's different. I mean, it's the native tongue is, you know, I mean, you've got so much control over the idiom and whatnot. And it's lovely to translate idiom into another language. I mean, you know, uh, it stood out like a soap in a coal scuttle. You know? I've never heard that one. But that's, yes, all right. So, but that's an old English saying. I, I know that I, it stood out like a turd in an astronaut suit. <laughs> Like, well, I can see that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, and also the French like translating it's raining cats and dogs. Ah, oui. Yes. Ça marche. You know, well, I mean, it works really well. It's, it has more glamour in another language. So if you write in your own language, okay. that's all I'm saying. So if Eileen, if so you, number one, if she comes from Greenland, you know, do it in Greenlandish. So number one, okay, Eileen. So number one, uh, 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 write it in, in Serbian. Oh, please. Okay. Yes. Any, do we have any other advice uh, for Eileen about writing... Uh, the Anarchist Monastery, the stage play. I'd like a little vaudeville in it, I think. 
Yeah, I think, well, obviously, the casting is really important. Casting is important. Well, not the yeah. ca- it's the characters you're creating, right? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Rather yes, than sure, the casting. Sure. So, so I, I need to think about whether she, how, what, what kind of sweep she wants this. Well, if it's a proper anarchist monastery, yes, bear this in mind, Eileen. If, it's mm. a re- if it really is an Come anarchist on, monastery, yeah. then the person who is in charge, if anybody is, um, the person who is most senior yes. is going to be the novice, the right. one who's just joined. Okay. Yeah, they have the most authority. That seems to be and an it, inversion of, uh, of, of... Yes, because this is an anarchist monastery. I see, of course. Just to, uh, just to teach everybody to um, freedom from orthodoxy. The least shall have the most. It's an exercise, you know, so it'll have all sorts of uh, random results, some of them absolutely wonderful and some of them terrible, but that's life anyway. It doesn't make sense. So what, so Eileen, uh, so, I mean... Very laid back. Think about the characterizations. think about the sweet, but what do you want this to be? What, what, what do you want your audience to go away remembering or feeling inspired by in terms of the anarchist monastery? Will it take place in the physical ruins themselves? Uh, from which we broadcast, or will you do what we rather do and see the anarchist monasteries more as a state of mind, perhaps a launch pad for some great philosophical, dramatic, hilariously funny? Try and make it funny, Eileen, if you can. If I was writing it as a story, mm. what happened to the anarchist monastery, mm. it would be one of those things, because this is a really thrilling story, remember, and I'd want it to be thrilling, where we thought we were doing something that was fairly harmless. Right. But we opened up forces that we couldn't cope with. Right. Yeah, and we were overwhelmed oh, wow. by, um, by the forces that the anarchist monastery okay. released. In fact, um, not, not the trolling and stuff like that and people saying that we're, you know, Are we being talking tro- nonsense. Are we being trolled? Uh, oh, I, oh, I hope so. That would be great. Yeah, we'll be reading out the trolls. Please. You know, it, in fact, it's the funniest Come thing. Come and troll us, people. Earth. Yes, yes, yes. Well, think of something. And if you don't want to troll us, then write us a nice piece of invective. Anthony Trollis. Uh, we'll probably read it out because we love that. Well, whatever it is, we actually, we actually open up ideas in people's heads that right. we can't cope with. I see. Not that it becomes so popular, but because it reaches areas that are so frightening. Okay. Because we're anarchist monks. So just so imagine then uh, people empowered with ideas that are terrifying yes, to other people. Yeah, Try yeah, and, how yeah. would you write those on stage? How would you play those well, out Well, I've got a lot stage? of terrifying ideas. Well, this is what I remember we're telling Eileen. We're not, uh, right? Oh, I'm so not telling, yes. I Eileen's going to have to find her own terrifying ideas. I mean, that's her job. I'd rather, as, yeah. As yeah if I came up with my terrifying ideas, I'd just be preventing her from thinking of hers. Well, then you write the play. You know, and, uh, no, I write my play yeah. of it. I'll do an anarchist monk play if Eileen does. Well, let's not. Okay. Oh, so there's a challenge. Eileen, you write the anarchist monk play. And if anybody. Look, it's a really good idea, us. Eileen. I absolutely love it. But this is the anarchist monk Send monastery. it to us, Eileen. We can add and stuff out. Anybody listening who wants to, wants to write a stage play of the anarchist monastery, yeah. go do it, it and send go ahead. it in. Go ahead. It, can be, it can be anything from five minutes long yeah. to, what, 40 minutes? Oh, let's go, minutes? let's go 30 seconds long, shall we? If you can really nail it in 30 seconds, let's do that. Yes, yes. But if you haven't got time to write a short one, write a long one. Right, right exactly. <laughs> okay, no, that's good. Um, all right, so I think, you know, I, costumes, Eileen, what are we going to wear? Are you going to have us robed or are you going to have us in some funny <laughs> You always other... think about the clothes. Well, of course, the costumes. What does an anarchist monk wear? Of course, it's on stage. That's important, right? So we need to think about that. I think they wear their convictions on their T-shirts. Have a bit of, oh yeah, all the times they've been convicted of stuff. Well, yes, yes, their convictions on their T-shirts. I know. Yes, and on the reverse, they can write Talk their about convictions. Advertising your own criminality. No, no, you have convictions on one side and convictions on the other. Right. And the okay. convictions that got you the convictions. Right. Usually. Yes. That would be the best thing. Yes. Here are my convictions. And, and this is what... Yes, and this is what got me the convictions. This is how, how I've how been... How I got my convictions. How I've been convicted. And something will be... Some, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I want a bit of vaudeville, Eileen, I think... A bit of uh, bit of top hat and cane in there somewhere as well, right? Kicking the cane round with your foot, sweeping across the front of the stage. Tap bit of dancing. A, bit of old music tap hall. Dancing. Bit tap dancing. Music hall. Exactly. Have you, ever seen the, have you ever seen the small theatre group Men in Coats? Uh, I have not. That's what we need. Men in Coats are visual theatre anarchist right. monks. Are they? Oh, my God, yes. I think if you can do them on YouTube and find Men in Coats, then, you know, you'll just be so happy. Well, that might be a tip for Eileen to do a bit of research, mightn't it, Eileen? Yes, yes, that's a really special tip. Men in in Coats on uh, on YouTube. YouTube, Yes, any any material you can get on then. And if if the Men in Coats are listening, put some more up. Uh, So, so Eileen... Your time has come. Your time has come, Eileen, (laughs) in Serbian. 
Write the play for us, the Anarchist Monastery. Hope we've given you lots of tips there. Look forward to getting that. Email we it do. to us, the Anarchist Monastery at gmail.com. You know, this is yeah, democratic. Send invitation. them in. Send, Send them, them in, in, people. Lovely. <laughs> Welcome back to the Anarchist Monastery. Now, I've got a name uh, in front of me, uh, Hubert, and you, no doubt you know of this. The name is John Snow. Yes. Now, uh, I understand you want to talk a little bit about John Snow. Now, I do. which John Snow? This is my question. Uh, Game of Thrones, John Snow, or no, Channel no. Four uh, newscaster, John Snow? No. Is there no. another John Snow? Yeah, there's a precursor, John Snow. A precursor, yes, John Snow. A very interesting John Snow. Oh, yeah. Okay, show this me the one. way to go with snow. Mm -hmm. Well, this one was born in uh, 1813. Uh, right. Okay, 200 years back in York. In York, ah, good, nice. Yes, we so like that we've connection. Got, oh, York has got its own John Snow. He's a man of York. So, what do we? What do we know? John. Well, Snow the most. Fa that's a very good question. Let's start with the most famous thing that we know about him. Okay, good. Because it uh, it decorates his memorial in North Street. In North Street in York. Yes, which is the street in which the All Saints Church stands. Right. That Emma Rawton yes. was the anchorite she, in that oh, we that talked about. Didn't we talk about her in our first podcast? We talked about her. So she really is an anarchist nun, I think, she by is. now. She's been recruited. Honorary. Yeah. So nothing can happen in North Street without us thinking of Emma, Emma Rawton. And one of the one most wonderful things that happened in North Street since her was that Jon Snow was baptised in that church. Jon Snow, who we don't know who he is yet, but we know he's... That he's famous for something. He's famous for something. Yeah, and, and he, he was, was baptised in the All church. All church. You're... Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and the thing that he's famous for... Um, decorates his memorial in North Street. Right. Right down by the river. And what is that? What right is that? down by the river where he used to live. Right. You know, with his parents, his father, who was a coal-shoveling labourer. Right. And um, he was the eldest of nine children. Okay, not unusual yeah, for yeah. the time. Right. No, no. Well, that they were surviving, that's pretty good because it was... Right. I'm um, sorry to say it was um, always filthy down by the river because that's where all the drains drained to. Yes, I'm sure. And when the river backed up, then right. it was absolutely... We can't even talk about it without that's parental guidance. That's where all the effluent went. You know, yeah. Imagine having effluent running in our rivers, No, 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 no. That no, wouldn't no. be a thing today, would well, it? Well, yes. Uh, well, I know about it. I'm mm. imagining it is not something I've got an imagination. I know and, you, you know, do. I had to be very careful be what careful. I let into it. So that. I, you know, I had to do something about the effluent in the rivers, um, but I'm not going to imagine it because okay. you know I have imaginative <laughs> okay. nose and everything. Yeah, else. no, don't. So you'll smell it. It's because of that that I'm doing something. About need a nose gay. I need a yeah, nose gay. Well, I know how to save the world, so I'm getting on with it. Hurry but, you up, know, will we're you? Taking time. Hurry up. Yes, good advice. Saving the good world. Good advice. Yeah, John yeah. Snow. John Snow, yeah. And uh, so I'll tell you what this um, famous thing is. He's um, famous for an act of vandalism. Good man. Yes. Do I mean that? Yeah. Let's hear about vandalism This first. vandalism, I think it happened towards the end of his life. So he was born in um, 1813. In York, in, yeah. in, right yeah. down by the yeah. river. Yeah. On the ooze or the foss? The ooze. The ooze. And yeah. he died in 1858. Okay, which is not terribly old. So 43? age 45. 45. But that wasn't yes, actually it wasn't actually yeah. too old for um too young for people in the Victorian era. Yep. A lot, you know, he could die of all sorts of things. You and I'm afraid could. I don't know what he died of, but maybe Lots we'll find out. It'd be nice then. to know. Yeah. Um, and the thing he's famous for, he did um about five years earlier, I think, in uh, 1855, he took the pump handle from the water pump in the middle of Soho that was supplying all the residents around Soho in London. So there was a massive... He took it away. ...water pump, yeah. pumping water from up underground. Look, people, that's it. People in that's it. Soho so in London. Drinking water, and he took it away. He, he stole the handle. He stole the handle. And no one could drink the water. And no one could drink the and water. And did people die of thirst? What people did was they lived of not catching cholera. Ah, very good. So <laughs> yes, and this he had to demonstrate it because right. he had the establishment against it, going. There's yes. no such thing as germs. No. You know, okay. this is a waterborne bacteria. Yeah. Um, and they, the establishment uh, believed they believed in miasma. Right. Okay. Is that miasma you're talking oh, about? Oh my goodness! What it's a, such a lovely word. Miasma really means you know stinky, horrible, poisonous air. So oh, how lovely! Got, yeah. So you got um, yeah you 
You got sick by breathing stinky, horrible, poisonous air. Yes, you did. Water, air, yeah. Airborne, was, waterborne, waterborne. Airborne. Airborne. Um, and that's how you got diseases. Airborne viruses. Smells, bad smells. I yeah. mean, that's fairly literal. You know, you smell a bad smell, you probably catch a disease from it. Yeah. So don't go sniffing bad things. No, OK. No, nosegay thanks world. The, thanks for the tip. Nosegay little so, would be then a little, yeah, yeah, uh, some you could flowers have, you yes. put in front of your nose. Talk about the treating the symptoms rather than the cause. Yeah. Yeah, nosegays. But, so it wasn't really working. No. The, the next theory was that you could catch things from people who already had it. Okay. Which is quite a good one. Yep, that's good. Yeah, that was doing something. But the idea of germs, right? you know, waterborne bacteria that can't be seen. Very early thing, days. Um, people were sceptical about yep, that. Yeah, of course. And not after um, Jon Snow took the uh, handle away. Imagine being sceptical in the face of the unknown. That's a human condition. A lot, of, a lot, of, a lot of the stories that, uh, this is what stories are made of. Okay. Stories are so often made of people who are not believed. Right. You know, it's one lone idiot who's saying something. Cassandra. That, yeah. I, I mean, there's a really good example of it. Once upon a time, way back in time, of course, there was somebody who was sitting looking the sun go down and said to everybody else, you know, that sun going down over there, mm. it's the same one as going to come up tomorrow. It's not. And everybody Get would out. say, well, how do you work that out? It's going down over there. It's you know, coming up over there. Yeah, they land. Those ones, they land over those hills. They're, they're There's the a whole valley side. full of them. Valley of the sun. Valley of the suns, yeah. yeah. Valley of the golden suns. And, but somebody had to say, you know, no, it's the same one. And everybody was against him. But in, in time, it okay. was proved, and you can see by the time of the Egyptians, they'd actually uh, given in, you know, and they were admitted that there was only one and it was going round. Jon Snow. He, that's what he was up against. That was his that's great what he triumph. was up against. But not Valley just him. Not just him. There, there was an Italian. Okay, work with him. Not, not at all. No, working independently. Oh, independently. Yeah, well, around on, about nineteen. Sorry, on, on cholera, working, working on. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we must mention him virologist. as well. Um, what was his name then? And he'd isolated the bacterium involved. I see. You know, so it might have been Jon Snow's theory okay. that it was bacteria, and so just um, stop the water supply. Right. John Snow's theory, theory and yeah, the unknown, yeah. unnamed Italian Filippo. practice. Oh, Filippo. Filippo, Filippo uh, well, Cognome. Filippo Pacin. How do you spell that, Hugh? P-A-C-I-N. P-A-C-I-N. Yeah. I'd say that was a slightly unusual Italian surname. Well, uh, C-I probably... is chi in Italian, so we would say Pacin. Filippo, Filippo Pacin. Pacin. So we do yeah. him credit. Yes, we'll, we'll do done. him honour by pronouncing Ottimo. his name right. Anyway. Well done, Filippo si. and Jon Snow for getting together over this. Excellent. Okay. But it wasn't the only thing that, um, that Jon Snow did. I mean, he was very, very active um, in various fields. Okay. Yeah. More, so what else did he, he do? Well, he was, he was the first anethnetist, yes. one might say. Mm. He'd been experimenting with ether. Right, which is uh, in Surrey. Yeah. Yeah. And... Well, they do have ether in Surrey. Yes, they, they do you know they have ether in Isha as well? Oh, heavens. Yes, is that yeah, thanks what for you were thinking? That. Thanks for explaining uh, just, the Just joke. to be clear about yeah. it, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, that was the that was the actual element that they were using, you okay. know, the compound, as it were, to uh, to explore um, anethetists. Uh, but also a lot of work on um, stillborn babies. Wow, okay, yeah, yeah. John Snow, stillborn using, babies, yes, 1830s. Using, using apparently a sort of a, a temperature, body temperature treatment. Right. And I don't know whether that's sort of warming the baby up, right. the stillborn baby up, and then let it cool down to shock its system yeah. into starting, or quite what that is. But if there's somebody out there, theory. and there always is, isn't mm. there, who actually knows what this paper says, oh, you know, um, then it would be fascinating to hear it. And, uh, and I best dare say a lot of people be interested. That is extraordinary. Anyone mm. at the Wellcome Institute is listening to us. They have mm. a fantastic museum of uh, the history of medicine at the Wellcome Institute in they London. They probably know all about it. I mean, he's, a very fa- it. he's very famous. And what, what, what's remarkable about him reaching such global fame mm. and having done so much for so many people mm. is starting out in the filthy old North Street in yeah, York. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, the eldest, the the eldest son of a labourer. Right, okay. Who showed that he was, the reason why they actually noticed that, and he, he took this path, is they noticed he was good at maths. Oh, he was one of these prodigies. Was he a prodigy? Yeah, for, well, he's still in single figures. They still became aware that he was right. yeah, good at maths, and by the time he was 14, right. uh, from that very, very lowly and unpromising beginning, he was apprenticed to a doctor in Newcastle. Absolutely amazing. One of those spongy brains that just and soaks he, everything uh, up. Yes, and from, but not just that. You know, He didn't stop. I mean, he showed a clean pair of heels, you could say, to all the medical establishment of the day. 
what, what, what he ran but, away. What does that mean? Uh, well, he ran ahead of them into areas that they hadn't got. You they know, his insight. His he had enormous, great um, insight into the into the field of developmental medicine, given yep. how far they'd got. Yeah, yeah. Well and done. so, so he's the people were sort of struggling in his wake, and also saying, "No, no, no, you must be wrong about this." Yeah. But by the time he'd taken the, um, it was such a good. This is the scientific method. You do something that everybody can see. Right. Scientific experiment. Right. Take the handle away. The cholera dies down. So John Snow, we would say then, has left a massive global footprint, has he? I, mean, I would say huge, right? huge. So he helped. He was the one, he was the instrument. He was the person he was who the was instrument. onto it first. Everybody who is behind that, yes, we're all standing on the shoulders of giants. He was the avant-garde. And of I'm cholera. quite sure John Snow would be the first, as a scientist, to admit right. that he wouldn't be thinking the things he was thinking if the thought people hadn't thought the thoughts they thought before. I, I you completely lost me there. I just uh, but that's what he a would lot think. of thought and thinking. Yeah. So his memorial, <laughs> his memorial is in, in North Street, All Saints Church in North Street. No, it's actually outside. It's it's outside. Um, right the, right by there, over the other side of the road. It's a pump handle. It's a pump handle. Whoever yeah. whoever who, who, so who if else he'd has ever had a pump knighted, handle, he should have been knighted easily. Then yeah. he would have had the pump handle on his uh, yeah. you know his uh, his badge of uh, honor. Sir John Snow pump handle. Yes. It sounds like a restoration uh, restoration comedy. Doesn't it? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, so that's Jon Snow, famous then, uh, a, a boy and man in York, and then uh, what discovered, well, was one of the earliest uh, anesthesiologists, you'd say? Absolutely, yes. He's, yes, he was he's developing it. He right. Me. And then he was in enormous demand. Right. You know, didn't have any time at all. And, uh, and I think he just... Uh, he must have worked for about four four years, yes. having developed all this, before he unfortunately died. He died of yeah. cholera. Well, I don't know. One hopes I not. mean, yes, the material that I've read on him has never actually. I, we don't know, know his cause of death. I could look into it. We'll find out. Somebody will write a letter, and I will. Someone say, will know. Yes, yes, we need to know. There'll be a John Snow expert in the yeah. world. So that's fantastic. So John Snow, famous man of York. Uh, how fascinating, Hugh. Thank you. That's very cool. Thank you very much indeed. Cholera, You're welcome. Anesthesiology. John Snow. What a great little section that was. Thank you. Welcome back to the Anarchist Monastery. And uh, Daniel, I think we have uh, in our uh, stories from the Foreign Office, mm. uh, we uh, reaching into the Bangladesh years. We, we're, in, we're, we're in Bangladesh. I'm 26 years of age. I'm, I'm, I'm sent to be the vice consul uh, to, to Bangladesh. And without really having any idea of what this entailed. Um, it meant doing a lot of running around after the British community. It also led to an extraordinary uh, moment in my life, I think, when I went up country uh, as looking as the person in charge of uh, British passports. Um, there had been some contact for years and years and years about a family who lived in a very, very distant part of the country. And they claimed that uh, their father was a British passport holder, and they'd always been turned down by the by the High Commission when they'd come to try and get their passport. It's been going on for about 20 years. And I went up there uh, to their village. And instead of just talking about that, what I did one night, I was with my son uh, when he was six, I think. And it's, I, it's a bedtime story. Oh, great. It's story time. It's story time. I tell my son a bedtime story. Once upon a time time. And it's called Up Country. Brilliant. And I'm going to read that story. Oh, yes. And you can imagine my son being with me right now as I yes. read it. How old is your son? Uh, I think he's six here. At the time. Uh, At the yeah, time. Yeah. Okay. Okay, this is called Up Country. Take your finger out your nose and I'll tell you. Good. Ready? Now, your daddy once travelled by car, boat and foot to help some people find their British passports. It was hot as hell. The air was like being in the bath. It was really uncomfortable. Like here in July. Here, by the way, is Rome, folks. Like here in July. Daddy took the trip because in those days my boss was always shouting at me. At 27. Yeah, all the time, yeah, and I needed a day or two away. It happens, you wait. That's not true, kids shout too. I started off in a big comfy car with a driver, and then when the road ran out, I got on a big boat which sailed until the river got too thin. Come on, <laughs> lie back down. So I got on a littler boat with a motor at the back driven by an old man who only had a pair of shorts on like we do when we go on the roof in summer and a towel twisted around his head to keep the sun off. Orange. I'd been travelling all day. I know, you'd hate it. 
It was getting dark like it does in Bangladesh, same time year round, when the river had become no more than a stream and the captain stopped the little boat and pointed at some trees. I stepped onto a jetty. It's kind of a wooden arm that gets you from a boat onto land so your feet stay dry. And through the trees and into a village full of huts made of mud and sticks. Kacha, they call them in Bangla. But that's their language. Yeah, they were very poor. Smoke rose from a fire where the village women were cooking rice. The boatman shouted something out. Next thing I know, the village headman appears, surrounded by 20 or so of his people, young and old. The ladies covered their heads when I looked at them. There were babies with, with blobs of ash smeared on their brows by mummy and daddy to keep off evil spirits. No, your daddy doesn't. But they do, and it's always important never to laugh, so stop your giggling just because you've never seen something before. Which none of the villagers had. Something. Yet, can you guess what it was? The colour of my skin. Pinky white with brown bits, just like yours. I'd arrived at their village a hundred miles from anywhere, and in the gloom to them, I was white as a ghost. They all stared. They just stared at Daddy's face. And one of the little kids, oh, about four, yes, I know, you're six, he came right up and touched my hand, and I smiled the biggest smile I had in my smile bag even though it was hot as bath time and the baddie mosquitoes had started to bite and they were much nastier than the ones here. The headman stepped forward in his kurta. It's like a nightgown. And I held out my hand and I said, "Assalamu alaikum," which means peace be on you, which is a really nice way of saying hello, don't you think? Take your finger out of your nose. What are you doing? Picking a winner? Okay, I'll carry on. Yeah, okay, okay. And he held his hand out back and replied, Walaikum assalam, which is saying the same thing in return. And I reckon that's a much better way of saying hello than hello. There he was, holding the only white hand he'd ever seen. For real, I mean. I mean, they, they might have watched a movie once in their lives. Star Wars? Well, I, I can't be sure about that. And 20 or so villagers were staring and calling out things to me I didn't understand and chatting among themselves and the kids were still all bug-eyed like you go when I say ice cream. Scared? Well, maybe they were more scared of me than me of them. I mean, there's nothing to be afraid of when meeting new folks. If you do so with a smile from your smile bag and a little bow of the head when you say hello in their language and you look them in the eye when you shake hands, well, that, that's what I do. Yeah, that's it. You got it. Everyone relaxes then. He led me into his hut. Like I said, it was made of mud baked by the sun, and the roof was the shape of a samurai's hat, made completely of sticks that fall from the trees, like the ones we sword fight with in the park. There was no electricity, but he had candles, and the only other light was from the rice-cooking fire I told you about. By now he knew who I was, that I must have come from my government, because he said British High Commission where Daddy worked, and I nodded, and a little tear came to his eye. Government? Well, that, that's what people who run all the world's countries are called. I pulled out all my documents from my battered leather bag, old paperwork that Daddy used to have to carry around with him in a special pouch given him... Brown. No, not poo brown. It was given him by his office. Inside was an old, old passport the family said, time and again, belonged to this man who died years ago which meant his children could become British, but my office had said no for years and years. And, well, because they didn't have what's called evidence, which is also called proof. Well, it's like you saying the Colosseum is in Paris, and I take you up the road to see it here instead, and then I'd say, there, boy, the Colosseum is in Rome. There's the proof. On one side of the hut was a big old grey trunk that the headman went to open. No, not that kind of trunk. You can't do that to elephants. It, it was an oblong tin size of your bathtub. He started to pull out photographs of the same man in the old passport, but looking much younger. And he was outside Buckingham Palace in London, where Queen Elizabeth lives. And there was another one of him at Edinburgh Castle. Well, yes, there are hundreds to see next time we visit. And there were also cans of brute antiperspirant from when I was a boy. Ten. It's the smelly stuff I spray under my arms. And there were bus tickets from London and tickets to football games in Manchester from years and years ago and payslips from restaurants where he worked. 
Well, when you get a job, they pay you money and your slip types out in numbers the amount you get paid. And these were in British pounds. Well, one day you'll have to, that's that. Suddenly, two more men, younger, maybe in their 20s, it's a way away yet. They came into the hut and it was already tight for space. And looking at the mats on the floor, I reckon maybe eight people lived in there. They were obviously the sons of the man who died and never replaced his passport because they looked just like him. It had run out, you see. Remember when we took your photographs for a new one? Hmm. And they could never go to England where their dad had lived because no one believed them for years and years. And they had to stay living in Bangladesh, which is a very poor country, and the people don't have enough to eat. And mostly they only eat rice and dal, well, that chickpeas. Yeah, OK, but not every day for all of your life. And the sons, they stared at my face just like everyone else had. And there were two windows in the hut full of bobbing faces, like this, of all the other villagers. The young men knew immediately who I was and they both burst into tears because finally someone had come. We were all of us at it, crying away. They do, grown-up men cry too. I smiled another great smile out of my smile bag and I nodded to them and gave them my business card. Those things on the corner of the desk over there. And they knew I'd invited them to come to Dhaka, where Daddy lived, to come to my office there, and I would issue them both with British passports so they could go and live in London if they wanted for the rest of their lives. No, 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 leave the light on. There's more. The strangest thing of all happened. One of the women... Look, stop playing with your willy and listen, OK? You've been asking me about this for ages. One of the women came in with the plates of rice for the family. There were seven of them. Yes, I was wrong. There was only a handful of boiled grains on each and a dollop of yellow dal. She set them down and sat on her bottom on the ground in a circle with the rest. The headman then poured all the food off the seven plates onto one big plate that suddenly appeared and he put it on the rug in front of me. Yes, I was. I'd knelt down a little early. I'm sorry. He'd given me the family's dinner for that night to eat up all by myself in front of them. The seven portions of rice and dal together, they made only a normal-sized portion for me because, it, because it's what Bangladeshi people do when a kind stranger comes by and they hadn't seen anyone like me before, but what they did see me as was someone to be honoured. Yeah, it's a sort of a respect. Yes, we did speak about that and I gave you a daddy look. Yes, I did feel bad about the food. The children would have to wait till the next night to eat a meal, but I couldn't hand it back. I wanted to. I felt awful. Now, come on, take your face out the pillow. I know it's sad, but just because it's sad doesn't mean I can't tell you. Come on, lift your head to me. Here's a tissue. Blow your nose. If I hadn't eaten all the food, they would have been sadder than you because it was their gift to me. Oh, come here, shuffle over, give your dad a cut. You know what I think? I think it's beautiful you have tears in your eyes. It's a special thing to feel for the children in the world who sometimes go hungry. That's what it means to be a human being, my boy. No, not a single grain of rice was left on my plate. They all sat and watched me on the ground, eating with my fingers, same as we do when you come to me for weekends. And I love you for it, more than ever right now. And I've always loved you for it this much. Okay, wider. What's more, I'm going to write this story down for you like I write lots of things about you and because of you. The boys came to the office a month later with the village head and I was the one who made up their passports for them and signed them and felt proud they could live the life they'd always been entitled to. Through my interpreter, the boys told me, well, someone who understands both languages at the same time, like, like you in Italian, and can speak it too. Hmm. They'd prayed to their God every day for 15 years that someone would finally come. They knew their dad was their dad and that meant they were British, but they never gave up praying for me to appear. There was such joy in my office, like a birthday party. Your daddy wants you to never give up if there's something... No, your birthday is December the 8th. If there's something that you are entitled to, it might take years and years until one day a real stranger might go miles out of their way and show up with the answer you've been waiting for. Take your finger out your nose and I'll kiss you goodnight. Well, thank you very much, Daniel. 
Oh. And I think um, that was our bedtime story. That's a bedtime story. Yes. I haven't so. read that for years. I feel quite emotional now. I read that was for my boy. Oh, there we are. My son. Well, it was an extraordinary story. And, you know, it built up. It built up and it had a wonderful ending. <laughs> thank, you, thank you kindly. Yes. Thank you kindly. So look, there's a cheerful story. On, on the... On the, on the, on the um, I so said I felt a bit sad. Now, finally, there's a bit of a seg... I, it's Mental Health Awareness Week next week. It's Global Mental Health Awareness Week. And I think they're focusing this year on anxiety, um, which is... as I, I've got m many a mental health tale to tell. Um, I'm... I'm uh, I, I've struggled a lot with depression in my life. I've struggled with anxiety. I've... I, and I feel for anyone who's gone through through any of that stuff because it's it's hard it's tough and because it's mental health awareness week i i suppose i'd like people to know that you're not alone right that that i have i have suffered exactly the same kinds of crises than people across the socioeconomic spectrum Right, depression and anxiety don't 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 pick on certain people. I think some some classes maybe I some 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 people on the scale might be more prone to it because they have harder lives, of course. And I think that's worth thinking about. But I'd like to say that you know I I I've 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 got a lot. I've 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 been hit hard in my life with both depression and anxiety. Anxiety is is just awful. If you told me that my anxiety the anxiety i was suffering was going to last another week I, I i i don't know what i'd do is this just a physical feeling this anxiety uh it's a it's a mental f feeling that has physical consequences i mean because i can be anxious about something i can be anxious you know yeah about my my plants in the garden coming up or something. No. So, so does it? Is it always an anxiety that uh, is focused on something? The anxiety something that particular? I'm, yeah, the anxiety I'm talking about is imagining the most awful thing that could possibly happen to, to you. To what you're doing, at and the it's time. coming, and it's coming in the next hour, or two hours, or day, and you can spend all day trapped in this awful your raised heartbeat right so it's not just about up. ordinary things that are happening in your life this is something you're imagining that that hasn't isn't going on at the moment that sudden that turns bad that you can't cope with yeah exactly it's actually it's something that comes completely out of the blue as an anxiety about, about something or other you have to be anxious about something like well it's like standing on the edge of a not necessarily it doesn't really work that no, way this is it? what i'm asking yeah. is i'm getting the idea this is i'm completely out of my area be, here so for no me idea. for me it can be like standing on the edge of a tall building and just looking so down. it's just an anxious feeling it, there, there's yeah but there's also this physical reaction to it well, that's what I said. Yes, yeah. it's physical. You can feel it in your stomach. Right. Yeah. You feel anxious in your Throat, stomach. Stomach. Nervous. Temples. Anxious. Right. Yeah. And that's then. Then you just feel that way about everything in your life. Everything tenses up. And then you're anxious about uh, yeah. how other people relate to you, whether people like you still. That, or anxiety is things, a liar. So whether the things are going to do are going to fail. Anxiety lies to you. It it, it will have mm. you believe that. A, a, a series of disasters are going to happen to you when the reality is that they don't. But when you're stuck inside this 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 anxious mindset, it's impossible to break out. It's like being in a it's like being in a in a prison cell. It's like being in a nasty prison cell. The bars are electrified, so if you touch them, you'll get a shock from it. That's that's what anxiety is to me, and it's it's a fear. It's fear of of the most awful things happening. It's so abstract, what, what you're actually describing, you know, that it's not attached to mm. whether or not um, you're going to run out of money or something. It's, I can see that it's a feeling that actually yeah. comes before. Yeah. The, so I would say, you know, I, I hardly he I hesitate to say this, really, but is this what you mean by paranoia? Hmm, I I'm not sure it's the same. I'm not but sure. But it seems close, related. That, like once you feel, once you feel yeah. paranoid, then you just look at everything and you feel paranoid. I think if you're it. feeling paranoid, you're necessarily feeling anxious. But if you're feeling anxious, you're not necessarily feeling paranoid. 
I think. Yes. Right. Yeah. So it it is it is that said it is it's not because it's not a f- kind of an unknown. It's not fear of the unknown. It's fear of something that you know. I can imagine all paranoia too well. getting out of control. Yeah. And then being applicable to all sorts of situations yeah. you come across because you're in that state. Yeah. And I'm just transferring that my understanding of paranoia over to what you're calling yeah. anxiety. But I'm yeah. aware that I don't know what I'm. What it's what. It's, it's 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 exhausting to be honest with you. This this anxiety. It's absolutely. But you said anxiety exhausting. and depression. Well, one is about what's gone, and one is about what's to come. Right. That that that's yeah yeah. I've had both. Yeah. So the depression is about the past. Same feeling, in fact. Depression is all about is all other. about what's gone, and anxiety is all because about because it wasn't adequate, or you just feel terrible. Whatever it is, you just feel terrible about how it, so. It was. Well, there are certain. It things. What about the story you've just told us? The, the, the story it? that you've read to us, our bedtime story. What do you about feel? Do you, do you, when you're depressed, do you hate that story? I haven't. To be very honest with you, I haven't looked at that story for about six years, so it's not something that I. I but that would be I a good hate. example. If you're in a state of depression, when you'd I'm depre- look at it and you'd feel terrible. When about I'm depressed, it. I hate myself, you, and you'd hate that story. I hate myself, so I hate everything connected to me. Yeah, yeah. So you'd think that story was a no good story, or it wasn't, yeah. you know, I, I, I or don't the think, things it said you shouldn't have said. I or, don't think anything I've written is of any worth whatsoever. Yeah, you just feel everything's worthless. That's, All the past is worthless. Sh- yeah, and something terrible is going to happen. Yeah, imagine that, right? Yeah, right. It, that's that's tough, and it's not just me. It's lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of people out there. Yeah, and have you brought this? Have you said exactly this to a doctor? Um, this is what you're feeling. I have actually a doctor once in Scotland. Doctor asked me what it felt like to be depressed, and I said it's like having someone come up behind me with a wet Hessian bag and throwing it over my head so that I can't see, and then slowly pulling me down, pulling me down onto the ground. That's so unmental, you know. That's not right. Uh, you know, that's the doctor's asking you about what's going on in your mind. Yeah. And you're coming back with an assault, an imagined assault. Yeah, uh, external. That's how I could best. But that's how I could best describe what what it felt like to me. Yes, and um, when you when you consulted doctors about this state, because I can remember you saying that um, mm. when you were in Italy, yeah, there were periods where you felt depressed. Yeah, well, wherever got, I, wherever well, it was I've about lived. the girlfriend, wasn't it? Wherever I've lived, to yes, be honest the, with you, the, the, the girl left, yeah. and and you and but you got medication for that. Um, uh, yeah, I did. I mean, this was years ago. We're, we're going back to when I was talking sure, about India. Sure. But and are you saying first... now, and you're recommending, because you're talking to people who also suffer from depression yeah, and anxiety, yeah, yeah. you're saying, yes, it was a good idea, actually. A good idea to do what? It helped. The medication. Uh, Seek it did, help. I, it does now. I'm sure of it. So, uh, you know. It, yeah, so in fact, you are, yes. You're, I'm medicated now. It, and it, it's, it's You're ratifying I it. still get really down. So you imagine how, mm. I suppose, how powerful that depression must be so if I'm medicated yes. and I Don't steal. suffer with it. Go and get help. Go and get help. Don't be silent right. about it because there's nothing to be ashamed of. Um, talk to people. No. Right? Try and rationalise your thoughts if you can. Write but medication down. does work. Well, it, not for everyone, but I think it does for me. Yeah. I think it does. I get a good night's sleep. I've got a lot of energy in the day. And I'm not. Yeah, well, you super obviously depressed. took the decision to try it. Yeah, I did. And, yeah. and and there was probably a bit of a trial, and you found out what you settled with, what actually was most helpful. Yeah, I, do, I got stuck with a bit of medication. So I was on the same medication for about 13 years, and I didn't check it out. I, I should have gone to a doctor and said, mm. look, is this yeah. still working? Because it's my. You review everything once a year. It's my, it's my body, so I, I'm responsible for what goes into yeah. it. Yeah. And I should have gone, but I didn't, and it went on for 13 years, and eventually the medication just simply wasn't working. It was having no effect on me whatsoever. And then I, I got into a, a bad breakup, a relationship breakup, and I just fell. I fell. I did hadn't... you ever vary the dose? If it wasn't working, did you take twice as much? No, because I wasn't really aware that it wasn't working, right? I didn't know I, yeah, until... I, I am completely Because it lost. was just my normative state, so I didn't really know it wasn't working until... Oh, uh, right. I until, be- I, until you t- consulted a doctor and he said, well, I'll try you on this. Well, I be- I, so he changed the medication. I basically had a nervous breakdown. And, uh, and While then, on the medication. Then the medication yeah. was changed. Yeah, to something else. To something else. And it, yeah. and it helped uh, a lot. Well, that is a very useful thing to be saying to yeah. people who are also yeah. going through this or, or encountering it for the yeah. first time. Yes, you may get some medication, yeah. but you would have rather you had had it checked out earlier. Well, that's on me. So, so yes. yes, if you're, and you're on... saying, and that's part of the advice. Yeah, exactly. Have it reviewed every year. I, I would. I, yeah. I, def- I didn't. I didn't, and it went on and on. 
Yeah. So so there we are. So look, you know, I'm in any case, uh, I I completely understand that idea of the, the the sadness of what is gone, and the fear of what is to come. And sometimes they all roll up into the same big ball, and it's it's very. It's very challenging. It's very difficult. What's it like when um, you're out in town and feeling very, very much like that and there's members of the public who really don't understand quite what you're going through at all, mm. but, it's, um, but it's very dominating for you? Mm. And normally speaking, you know, I mean, you can be quite jocular or sociable with you know people out, out in town. Yeah. Um, you can make remarks. But if somebody made a remark while you were both standing at a magazine stand yeah. and you felt depressed, you would ignore them. I wouldn't even notice they were there. Yeah, right, right, right. right. So I wouldn't that's even what, what happens. Yes, you just get cut off. You're in. A, well, I don't you're wanna, alone on the planet. I don't want to be out. You're alone on the planet wherever you are. Depression says stay yeah. home, don't go out. Would you say that? Yeah. Well, ex- yes, yes, that's the feeling. But I would like people to know that just because that's the feeling, that's not the reality because you are not your feelings. And oh, that, well, that's very interesting. You may feel like you're the only person on the planet, but you're not, and there's a whole... Because our feelings are so dominant. Yeah, well, they, they, they are, and they fool us, and they trick us, and they lie to us. And, and things change. I would also like people to say that. I mean, today is the tomorrow you were so worried about yesterday. Today? Is the tomorrow you were so worried about yesterday. Right? And you're here. You've made it through. Right? You've reached that tomorrow. You got there. Yes, that's right. Today is the tomorrow. I see. What, yes, it took, right. took me a long time to get there, I, I, Daniel. You're too clever for me. Yes, today, I just, today yeah. is the tomorrow well you, you were worried about yesterday. Humanize has arrived. I, I arrived there. That's a very nice thing to say. Yes. I, I just want Thanks people, for that. That's no, that, right? Yeah. I just want to know that's that that's that's the reality. So so talk to people. Uh, particularly men men we we there's a stigma and there's an ongoing stigma and we in this country as well it's really challenging that bullshit stiff upper lip nonsense that we've all inherited and you don't show your troubles because you know nothing goes away if you don't confront it if you don't accept it well and then... Jung Jung used to talk about flight into health hmm. people who don't have the in a way he's saying people who don't have the strength of character to yeah. be um as messed up as they really are hmm. and their behavior actually is a complete cover-up it's a piece of armor yeah that they've got and because it's armor they the sensation doesn't really get through yeah so you know they might actually be living very stable lives hmm. but they are sort of neutered they neuter themselves because they can't cope with what you're coping with hmm. which is the extraordinary se- state of um, sorrow mm. and anxiety mm. that actually is there and you're facing it and everybody yeah. else is what Jung would say. Yes, they, that's, he'd say that's flight into health. Yeah. Talk to me for a bit and I'll soon find out, yeah. you know, that, how much you're covering up because you can't face it because you think you'd be destroyed by it. Well, we don't all have access to Jung's and we don't all have access to analysts or psychiatrists but it does you see what i'm saying yeah, saying yeah, that yeah. if you if you are capable of depression and anxiety mm. then that is a that is an appropriate state mm. given the the world that we're living mm. in and the conditions and you mm. are facing it you're mm. facing it um would I change it if I could? That, I mean, that's the question. Where other people me. are just ignoring it, so they don't, you know, they so so they're living like cocky immortals, as Carlos. Would Preston I give it all up? Say, would I? Would I uh, not be but me? It's at the expense of sensation and feeling, knowledge. Hmm? Would I give it all up? Would I? Would I? If I could choose not to be depressed or anxious ever again, if mm. I could take that right now, would I say yes? That's yes, a, that's exactly what I want to be. Yeah. But the thing is, Hugh, that the most extraordinary things have happened creatively because of my depression. So what would your decision be? No, I'll keep the depression. Well, that, I mean, that, you see that, right, that's a tough one. I'd, would I, if, I, if I could never be creative again because I'd given up, because I'd managed to free myself of depression and anxiety, how would I feel about that? That's a, I don't know. I don't know the answer Well, to that. I do know the answer now because you've given me, you enable me to understand that in a way, um, depression and anxiety is a symptom of being at the front, of being actually at the unfolding of time. Yeah. The present moment is unfolding before you, so you would have depression and anxiety mm. about it. This is what it feels like yeah. when you're saying, well, I can retreat, which is what Jung is suggesting, mm. and hide from it and just not actually live, but I'm actually working at the front and this is the cost and I'm prepared to pay it because I want actually to be alive. You can't hide. What, you mean hide from depression? 
Well, this is what um, no, no, hide from no. the conflicts that would right. cause oh, the I depression. See. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just hide all that material. But all from that, you. all that stuff is there. Yeah. And it's Desperately, bu- in a great panic, it's all bubbling. Yeah. All that stuff. All that it's material. It's like anaesthetizing yourself. All that material. You can't stand it. All that material has been bub- has just been bubbling for years and years and years, and it's resulted in a in a in a a lot of creative output, frankly. Yeah. So, because in actual fact, you you are closer to reality, feeling like that. The closer you get to reality, the more it's on the edge. And it's, it's, you will it's, feel. it's on the edge. It's absolutely on the edge of reality, and that's a, a, amazing and fascinating and terrifying, and shit. As well as it is being who I am, and so, so I don't know. I don't, I don't think there's a conclusion to this as such. I ju- I just want people to know, bearing in mind, you know, it's Mental Health Awareness Week next week. Um, that it's okay. It's okay. Well, you've made that very clear. It's to okay me. to be yeah. unwell, and and there is help available for you. Don't be unwell alone, because that's what your depression wants from you. It wants to isolate you. Yeah, I mean, what you said to me that I never ever thought I would ever hear anybody say mm. is, "Yes, have the courage to be unwell." Yeah, yeah, but it takes so much. Oh my God, it takes so much strength. Well, there you are. So much there you are. You, because you, anybody who puts through, it puts themselves through, or goes through that sort of yeah, it's exhausting. Um, yes, that it's sort of hell. Yeah, mm. actually, um, is mm. there because they have courage. Yeah, that's that's the that's the requirement. I am my wounds. So the thing is, that depression leaves invisible wounds. It's not uh, they're not surface wounds. You know, uh, depression, anxiety, they don't cut you. They uh, well, they can um, they they can certainly it, lead so to in that. In a way, you're yeah. saying if you wake up. If you actually wake up to what life is really like, Mm. you know, you'll need a lot of courage when the light comes on. If you want to face it all, yeah. If you live in the dark and be fine. If you want to, if you want to switch the light on, yeah, you're going to need courage. If you want to face it, you're saying, don't be frightened of that. It hurts. Yes, it's a big deal. If you want to face it down, it hurts. But it's better to live than to hide from life. Absolutely. Well, it's a marvelous message. Absolutely. To end up. National Mental Health Week. National Mental Health Week. Okay, well, that's... um, There we are. I didn't want that to be a bit of a downer. I hope it isn't. I hope that some life comes out. I'm sure it's not a downer. A bit of... Yeah, I hope there's something progressive. There's some energy and some confirmation and uh, appreciation of the constructive areas of the state that Mm. you're having to put up with. No, it's tremendous. Thanks for listening. Okay, yeah. Appreciate that. Well, so we'll say goodbye to everybody. Yeah, we will. Goodbye, folks. And and, uh, get involved in National Mental Health Week. It's coming up. I'm sure there'll be tons of things that online and in your town or city or whatever it is that you can perhaps engage with. I think that would be a good idea. And talk about your feelings to each other. Mm-hmm. Do that. Okay. Bye, folks. Good night. See you next time. Bye. <laughs>